Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Elon Musk denying claims in a new report that he harassed a flight attendant. He calls it a politically motivated hit piece. An investigation finds NBA team owners have $10 billion worth of investments in China. Stock prices volatile again today. How do you protect your wealth during a market freefall? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here for NTD Business. NBA team owners have big personal investments in China. ESPN's investigation comes as NBA games quietly return to China's TV screens after a three-year ban. They were banned after one general manager spoke out against the Chinese Communist Party's human rights abuses in Hong Kong. The NBA distanced itself from the general manager's comments at the time. Anthony's Con Fredrickson has more. More information on the NBA's financial ties to China. 40 principal NBA team owners, as a group, have over $10 billion linked to China, according to the ESPN analysis. It concludes that their money would be at risk if they got on the wrong side of the Chinese regime. It's very simple. It comes down to, to money. Fred Roccafort is an attorney at Harris Bricken, which represents many companies that do business in China. Roccafort says companies like the NBA are essentially blinded by by the money to such an extent that they're willing to overlook any other consideration. ESPN hired Strategy Risk, a firm that researches the risks of doing business in China, to look into the team owners. Strategy Risk says Miami Heat owner Mickey Arison has over $375 million tied to China, partially through his company Carnival Corp., the biggest cruise operator. Chinese nationals represented 8% of its passengers before the CCP virus hit. Memphis Grizzlies owner Robert Perra is both founder and majority shareholder of tech firm Ubiquity, which manufactures most of its products in China. Brooklyn Nets owner Joe Tsai has 53.5% of his net worth tied to China. Tsai is the executive vice chairman of Alibaba. Sacramento Kings owner Paul Jacobs has a big stake in Qualcomm, which earned two-thirds of its annual revenue in China last year. Jacobs used to be Qualcomm's CEO. Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta is the president of Landry's, which operates 10 restaurants in China. Strategy Risks estimates his total exposure is $160.3 million. Philadelphia 76ers owner Josh Joshua Harris co-founded and owns 20% of Apollo Global Management, which has three subsidiaries in Hong Kong and one in Shanghai. And of course, Charlotte Hornets owner Michael Jordan's brand, Air Jordan, is very big in China. The NBA has a hard decision to make. Bob Bilbrook is the CEO of Capture, as well as an avid basketball fan. Bilbrook says, You have to decide, you know, are we, an, are we a U.S. American brand or are we a world brand and we're okay with, you know, the things that are going on. ESPN's analysis came out as NBA games have quietly returned to China's state-run TV on the eve of the NBA playoffs. Fredrickson, NTD News. We reached out to the NBA, haven't heard back yet. In a statement to ESPN, though, an NBA spokesperson said the league believes showing the games to fans around the world, including in China, is consistent with its mission. And Elon Musk today denying claims made against him in a new report by Business Insider. The report accused him of sexual misconduct in 2016, cited interviews and documents it allegedly obtained. It said Musk's company, SpaceX, paid a flight attendant a quarter million dollar settlement. Anthony hasn't seen nor verified the documents. Musk says the claims are flatly untrue 
and he challenged the person who made the claims to describe anything on his body like tattoos or scars that the public should know about. He tweeted, she won't be able to because it never happened. He also said the attacks against me should be viewed through a political lens. This is their standard despicable playbook. He vowed to continue with his plan to protect freedom of speech on Twitter if the deal goes through. We reached out to SpaceX for comment but haven't heard back. And Wall Street ended mixed today after another volatile session. The Dow gained just nine points. The S&P was flat. The Nasdaq lost 34 points, three-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 closed about 18 percent down from its January record high. dropped into bear market territory during the day, meaning 20 percent from its most recent high, later recovered with a late-day rally. Nasdaq is already in a bear market, down 29 percent from its record close in November of last year. So with markets in turmoil and more pain expected, how do you protect your wealth? As Daniel Lakai, he manages over $6 billion for the Tresses Hedge Fund. This is a very difficult year because it's the first year since 2008 in which bonds, equities, cryptocurrencies, all risky assets are falling except the dollar. Even gold is down. No? So in this environment, we always have said that you need to have a portfolio in which the exposure to cyclicals is relatively limited, but in which you also keep a number of assets that will be decorrelated from the rest. And in this case, it's dollar exposure. No? So we have been fundamentally exposed to the U.S. dollar, to uh, relatively safe stocks, so uh, utilities, etc., and obviously maintaining uh, a bit of cash in order to uh, be able to find opportunities, which are starting to become pretty evident in, in the market. So is the dollar strong because people are selling assets and buying the dollars, waiting on buying opportunities? The dollar is strong because for the last 10 years, we have seen a massive carry trade. If you look, basically, if you want to summarize what the markets have been doing for a decade, is basically to be long the emerging economies, long Europe, long uh, technology, etc., short the dollar. So what we're seeing right now is an unwinding of that massive carry trade. And therefore, the dollar is strengthening relative to other currencies. The weakness of the euro, obviously, is leading numerous economies in the eurozone to purchase dollars in order to maintain their imports in commodities relatively stable. So what we're seeing basically globally is a very interesting situation. Uh, we, we know that most market participants and the vast majority of sovereign issuers were being very negatively exposed to the dollar, believing that massive quantitative easing, low rates were going to stay forever. More importantly, believing that a weak dollar was the bet to follow. And what is happening is the unwinding of that carry trade and at the same time, the weakening of two important currencies, the euro and the yuan. That's, that's incredible, Dan, because that is what we heard at the time was, you know, there's low rates forever. You know, the Fed has to keep low rates, otherwise everything collapses. And you're saying this has been reversed and so all bets are off. You, you mentioned buying opportunities. How exactly do you time the bottom in this type of downturn? 
It is very difficult to time the bottom in a downturn like this. Why? Because markets became massively expensive for the last three years in particular. We just saw massive increases in multiples, multiple expansions throughout most equity uh, sectors and also a very big appreciation in the price of bonds. So it's very difficult to find value. So what we do basically is what we analyze is at what price to earnings and on what EV to EBITDA stocks are starting to trade a recessionary or at least a slowdown environment. And we start to time our bets in starting with 20%, then maybe another 20%, uh, take an opportunity of some corrections. We believe that we're basically 60% into what would be a full-blown recession plus uh, inflation discounted by the market. So there would be, still be another 40% of uh, multiple compression, not of market correction, not a fall of the 40% of the market. So what we would need basically is to start to see uh, a, a little bit of a bounce in the next earnings season. And I think that that's where we will be looking at significant opportunities because some companies are actually providing very good earnings. Daniel Akai at the Tresses Hedge Fund. And as families in America scramble to find baby formula amid the shortage, French company Danone has ramped up shipments from Europe, it's according to Reuters. Between January and May, Danone more than tripled its ocean imports to North America, with almost all of it going to the United States. Although Danone is the world's second biggest formula maker, it's a pretty small player here in the States. Just four companies produce about 90% of U.S. formula. The top U.S. manufacturer, Abbott, is the one behind the shortage, the problem at a plant. That's given other players like Danone the chance to take a bigger share of the market, but it also shows how relying on a handful of companies has made the U.S. formula market highly vulnerable. One data tracking agency reports 45% of baby formula products across the United States were out of stock at some point last week. And amidst the shortage, desperate parents have been looking for alternatives including one of the lesser-known ones, Mother's Milk Banks. Anthony spoke with one milk bank that's seeing a surge in demand. Few people knew about Mother's Milk Banks until the recent infant formula crisis. Mother's Milk Banks have been saving tiny lives with medical conditions for decades, and now they're saving healthy babies too. We have seen about a 20% increase due to the formula shortage in families reaching out and asking for that milk to use at home. And luckily, we've also seen a 20% increase in donations. Summer Kelly, executive director at Mother's Milk Bank of the Western Great Lakes, said the nonprofit organization had seen a surge in donations since the pandemic began. And now that families are watching the news, they're hearing about the formula shortage, we've seen another really big increase in donors reaching out, moms reaching out, wanting to help these families through the formula shortage. That 20% increase, we are at about 50,000 ounces a month right now. The Mother's Milk Bank of the Western Great Lakes is one of 31 facilities in the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, or HMBANA. Her location serves Illinois and Wisconsin. About 75% of the milk that we dispense goes directly to the hospital, but that leaves 25% of the milk for families at home. Some of these families have children with medical needs, and some of these families are simply struggling to find formula right now. 
Kelly said HMBANA supplied 9 million ounces of pasteurized human milk in the U.S. and Canada last year. Because of its target customers, the organization has strict criteria to screen out donors who smoke, drink alcohol, or have communicable diseases. The 28 U.S. facilities are all FDA registered as food manufacturers. Really the cornerstone of safety is pasteurization. In Himbana's 37-year history, there's never been a case of infant harm due to any milk uh, collected or dispensed at a Himbana-accredited milk bank. So we have an excellent safety record. But human milk supply is not unlimited. It's not a long-term solution for the formula shortage. We can provide short-term emergency milk for these families. Um, it's not really ideal for, you know, months of supplementation, but just for a couple days. The FDA expects Abbott's baby formula plant in Michigan to resume production in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, the FDA will consider the importation of infant formulas on a case-by-case -case basis to ease the supply situation. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. But there's a will, there's a way. And Chinese telecom companies Huawei and ZTE are taking another hit. Canada is now banning equipment for the two companies from its 5G infrastructure because of safety concerns. Canada's public safety minister says Huawei and ZTE equipment could present a high risk to its telecommunications sector. Canadian companies are now required to remove existing Huawei and ZTE 5G equipment by June 2024 and 4G equipment by December 2027. The U.S. has put Huawei in a trade blacklist, saying it and ZTE have links to the Chinese military. Beijing, though, not happy about Canada's decision. Chinese foreign ministry says it strongly opposes the move and will take appropriate measures. Here's another piece of news Beijing won't be happy to hear. U.S. economic growth could be surpassing that of China this year. It will be the first time that's happened since 1976. Bloomberg economists predict that the world's second largest economy, China, will grow just 2% this year, while the U.S. GDP will increase 2.8%. Adidas Don Ma speaks with Joseph Trevisani, senior analyst at FX Street. Now, Bloomberg predicts that China's economic growth is going to be lower than the U.S. for the first time in 45 years. So I just want to get your thoughts. How are you looking at this? Well, that's an interesting proposition, is it not? We can go back immediately 10 years to when China said that 8% was the absolute minimum they could have for growth to maintain the social stability in the country. Now they are saying now it's 5, 5.5%. The question for the leaders in Beijing is what will happen internally in reality with this kind of growth. It's also possible that whatever growth comes through on an official number will not be terribly accurate. There is a great deal of pressure in China to meet the performance criteria of the Beijing government. And so you can never really be sure what that means as far as the actual numbers. Right, right. China set a five and a half growth target but at the same time, it's locking down Shanghai and partially other places. Don't they know it's going to hurt their economy and their business? It seems, you know, I'll be honest, it's a bit of a puzzle. The Chinese know, they know that other countries around the world, the United States in particular, but many others as well, have stopped locking down their economies and they're learning to function and live and treat the ill for this virus. The Chinese are taking a very different viewpoint 
they are, I mean, they locked down Shanghai. They know that this is going to severely damage their economy. So are they putting the reputation of the Central Committee, of the people who decide the policies in Beijing, ahead of the good of the economy? So China recently cut interest rates to try to revive its housing sector. Would that help with China's economy? Well, I mean, interest rates are the classic, you will Western, the classic central bank response to economic problems to slowing growth. So I'm assuming they will have some effect. But how much, and, and in the face of what the Chinese have done, I don't see how cutting interest rates will revive the economy in any reasonable amount of time. In fact, I don't see how it will revive the economy at all. The, you have a standard economic tool being faced off by a locked down economy. So I, I just want to talk a little bit about the U.S. So even though the U.S. growth is predicted to be higher than China's, 2.8% is still lower than last year's growth. So what's the biggest reason for that? In the U.S.? The, uh, well, the U.S. growth d depends a great deal here, as it does not in China, on the consumer. So if the consumer in the U.S. stays healthy, stays strong, despite the very low consumer sentiment numbers, then the U.S. economy is going to do more than muddle through. I mean, if you remember back before the Trump administration, 2 2.5% growth was not considered unusual at all. Although in the current context where people are expecting much higher growth because of the recovery from the pandemic, it seems low. Nonetheless, in an overall context, going back 20 years, it seems fairly normal. Do you see China's slower economic growth as a temporary state? Or how likely is it for China to again surpass the U.S.? Well, it's a very, it's a difficult question here. So there is a very serious possibility late this year or next year of a recession. Whether that comes through, I don't think is going to be determined by central bank policy. I don't think what the Fed does is going to matter a whole lot. I think it matters on what the consumer is going to do. If you look at China, though, China's growth is not nearly so dependent, it's not really that dependent at all, on domestic consumption. It's dependent on uh, exports and global growth. Well, the U.S. is a large part of that. So if the U.S. has a problem with consumer spending, China is going to have a problem with its export economy. So whatever we do here gets exported to China. All right. Joseph Trevisani, FX Street. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Though much of the Western world is trying to cut its reliance on Russian oil, Italy is going the other way. They've increased their imports dramatically. The 450,000 barrels per day they've imported this month is the highest amount since 2013, according to Kepler, a commodity data firm. It's four times the amount they imported in February when the conflict began. Why? One reason is a major refinery in Italy is owned by a Russian company, Luke Oil. Italian banks stopped supplying credit to Luke Oil, quite paradoxically, forcing it to depend on oil from its parent company. Still to come, stay with us. After a disastrous free food promotion in New York City earlier this week, another delivery giant jumps in the ring, offering free food. Will this deal deliver? Mercedes-Benz making history selling the world's most expensive car. How much did it go for? That and much more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. This year's graduating class can get a free sweet treat to Krispy Kreme. It serves a reward for all their hard work, of course. The donut chain will give each graduating senior a box of donuts. The free senior day dozen includes eight original glazed donuts and four special themed donuts. The promotion is for one day only, though. That's Wednesday, May 25th. All you have to do is show up at a participating Krispy Kreme on Wednesday wearing some class of 2022 swag. Examples include your graduation cap and gown, a shirt, or a letterman jacket. But did you know that free food offers can sometimes go wrong? After Grubhub's disastrous free food promo earlier this week, which left New Yorkers hungry and restaurants in the cold, another food delivery giant is jumping in the ring with more freebies. Dittiesville Zoe has the details. Uber Eats is offering free lunch to some of its users. As long as it's your first order, you can eat up to $25 of free food. No, where's my lunch? Some of the offers read, there's no such thing as a free lunch, along with a winking emoji, poking fun at the Grubhub disaster promo that happened earlier this week. Grubhub offered free lunch to all New Yorkers on Tuesday, but restaurants were flooded with more orders than they could handle. Grubhub said they received 6,000 orders every minute during the promo. The result? Orders were canceled. Restaurants froze their services, and food that was prepared wasted because even delivery guys were overwhelmed. I spoke to New Yorker Alex, who was hanging out with his dog, Bruno, in Chelsea, Manhattan. I think that seems like a very poorly thought through uh, promotion. Not everyone is biting on the new offer from Uber Eats either. If you're losing faith in delivery services, just do what Alex does. I was uh, home and my wife had brought uh, provisions and they were there in the fridge and I helped myself. Grubhub said all customer orders that were canceled will get a refund and that restaurants wouldn't get charged for a cancellation if it wasn't their fault. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. Mercedes-Benz just made history, confirming yesterday it recently sold the world's most expensive car. The very rare 1955 Mercedes-Benz SLR Coupe was sold to a private owner for the equivalent of $142 million. Haggerty, a company that tracks collector car value, says that makes it the priciest set of wheels ever. Previous record was reportedly $70 million, paid in 2018 for a 1963 Ferrari 250 GTO. The record-setting Mercedes was sold at an invitation-only auction on May 5th. It was one of just two, two of its kind, claimed to have a top speed of 186 miles per hour. The other one will remain at the Mercedes-Benz Museum. Mercedes says the money from the sale will be used to establish the Mercedes-Benz Fund. That's a global scholarship fund. And from Star Wars X-Wing spacecraft model to a Thor hammer, a treasure trove of entertainment memorabilia from famous movies is going up for auction in Hollywood next month. Indeed, it's Andrew Thomas has the details. More than 1,800 pieces of movie memorabilia are being offered at the June 21st through 24th auction. Prop Store estimates they will raise between $7 million to $10 million. Leading the lots is the Red Leader X-Wing model from Star Wars A New Hope 
which has a price estimate of $500,000 to $1 million. The number one thing for me in the auction is behind me. It is the X-Wing fighter model, and that is an original custom-made X-Wing model from the very first Star Wars, A New Hope, uh, that was shot in late 1976 and early 1977 uh, at Industrial Light and Magic. Other items for sale include an animatronic gizmo from Gremlins 2, the new batch, with a price tag of $80,000 to $120,000. Thor's hammer from the original Thor movie with an estimate of $100,000 to $150,000. And a six-foot model of a jet used in the original Top Gun, which could fetch $30,000 to $50,000. There are also lots from Will Smith films, including shorts he wore to portray Muhammad Ali in the biopic Ali, with an estimate of $1,500 to $2,500, and a glove worn by Johnny Depp and Edward Scissorhands, seen fetching $30,000 to $50,000. So at the moment, we are hearing a lot of people talk about Will Smith. We are hearing a lot of people talk about Johnny Depp. I do think that will bring out special attention, in part just because it causes people to go and revisit their work and revisit those titles. And so if people are, you know, watching Johnny Depp in the media, they may go away and watch Johnny Depp's films. Other auction items include Samuel L. Jackson's wallet from Pulp Fiction, estimated to sell for $30,000 to $50,000, and Uma Thurman's sword from Kill Bill, Volume 1, for $20,000 to $30,000. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And Boeing launched its Starliner spacecraft on an uncrewed test mission toward the International Space Station Thursday. The Starliner is designed to ferry astronauts to and from the ISS, but two prior attempts at such a mission failed. Boeing's goal is to prove the Starliner can indeed dock at the orbiting post. It has to succeed at that before it can move on to missions with people on board. Starliner will spend around 24 hours free-flying before arriving at the space station. It's carrying supplies for the astronauts already on board the ISS. The hope is it will remain there for less than a week. Boeing originally hoped the Starliner would be operational in 2017, but the program had some delays and some development hang-ups. <laughs> Looks intense. That's the latest of the NTD business team. Myself, Paul Graney. Can still catch, though, NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. It's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. We can talk over the weekend. NTD Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.